2: Turn, please, to the chapter, Ruth, uh, to Ruth chapter 2, this morning as we get ready to start in this time of looking to the Lord. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for, as I prepared this message, for putting your, your hand and crowning me with the blessing of seeing the Lord Jesus in this chapter and Lord, I pray that, that each person in this room today, that you would put your hand on each of their heads and you would crown them also with the blessing of seeing this, this is Christ the Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in Ruth chapter two, Ruth chapter 2, and I'll start reading again at verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Eli Melech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, whose name of the kindred of Eli Melech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even until, from the morning until now. That she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boazud to Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? When thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young man have drunk. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done to thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father, thy mother, the land of thy nativity, come unto a people which thou knowest not. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel." under whose wings thou art come to trust. Okay, now, in our study so far in, in Ruth, we've been following closely this remarkable woman, Ruth, because she's she's journeyed from her homeland there in Moab, and she's come into a strange country of Israel, and, and she's among a strange new people, the Jewish people, and we've been feeling with her as she's done this, all of her aloneness, all of her, her, her isolation as she set out alone to, to find food in this strange new world where she's a despised Moabite. And in our last study, we've been feeling with Ruth her frustration, seeing her only friend there. She has it's just, only has one friend, and it's just Naomi. And Naomi now has been overcome with sadness, and she's, she's, she's given in. Naomi has given in to this paralyzing depression. And up until this point, life has been very hard for Ruth. Ruth has just had to battle through. And when we look at Ruth and we say, how do we describe Ruth? One word. One word to describe Ruth up to this point. Faithfulness. Ruth has been a faithful friend to Naomi. And Ruth's faithfulness has come at a very heavy price. And from here, we're in the life of Ruth. And so we look back from this point, and we would say, yes, we can see that that chapter in Ruth's life could be called the price of faithfulness. She's paid a heavy price. And for Ruth, it's been the price of faithfulness. But now the tide is going to change for Ruth, and she's about to start now a new chapter in her life. And this new chapter we can title The Reward of faithfulness. And that's a new chapter in her life. And it starts with these words in verse eight. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean another field, neither go from thence. Abide here fast by my maidens. Just those remarkable first five words of that verse eight in the chapter is the reward of faithfulness opening up. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, And now our focus now changes to Boaz. And as Ruth looks at Boaz, she sees in his eyes, in the eyes of Boaz, something very different that she hasn't seen in the eyes of all the other Jewish people. She sees in his eyes something that she's been looking for. And from his eyes, Ruth can tell that Boaz is now feeling her aloneness. He's feeling her isolation. He's feeling her fear as she's come into this new land, this new people. He speaks about it. You came into a strange country. And from his eyes, Ruth knows that this Jewish person is different because somehow, somewhere, this Jew has felt alone and isolated and afraid. And that's easy to understand because it's common for Jews to, to feel this aloneness and isolation and fear. I remember in August of 1976, when I was 15 years old, and I found myself in a co-ed boarding school of 200 students in, in Montreux, Switzerland, the end of the Lake Geneva. And I was only one of two Jews in that school of 200 Gentiles. And I remember trying to hide the fact that I was Jewish, but you know, with a name like Cantor, it, it doesn't go very well. And so everybody knew I was a Jew. And one day, I remember we were playing rugby. I never even heard of rugby before. Anyway, but anyway, I was playing rugby. And I don't know, only thing I know, I, I, what I remember is what I don't remember. And, and what, I, what I remember not remembering was who hit me. But, but all I remember was somehow flying through the air and, and, and feeling the slam of the goalpost on my back. That stopped me. And, and then I remember the blood and the urine. And, and then I remember the ambulance to the hospital. And, and I remember the doctor saying, you ruptured your kidney. Uh, well, you know, I kind of hoped that, okay, they got it out of the system. Now it's all over. But one night as we were playing in the gym, the students beat up on me and were hitting me from the back and they started to tear my clothes off me. And before they stripped me naked, I ran out of the gym to my room. And I never felt so alone and so isolated and so afraid before. I mean, I came from a totally Jewish world in West L.A. and where all my friends were Jews. You know, I went to a high school where it was real clear. You were either Jewish or Mexican, nothing else. And, <laughs> and we had to walk to high school. There was lines of these Mexican guys on both sides, and you just walked straight ahead, and you didn't look one way or the other. So that's where I came from. And so really, uh, I mean, it was uncomfortable, but I never knew what it was really like to be hated as a Jew. I mean, Holocaust movies were just movies. But now, as a Jew at this boarding school in Montreux, and it was just 20 years after the German Holocaust had ended, and just 75 miles from the German border, I felt like Ruth. I felt like Ruth in a strange country among strange people, and I felt the hatred. And that happened almost 50 years ago. But even now, as I tell you about those feelings of the aloneness and, and the isolation and the fear, they're as fresh today as they were 50 years ago. And then, two years after that happened to me, I met a Gentile named Cheryl who became my wife. And when I met her, she told me that she loved the Jews. Well, from my terrifying experience in Switzerland, I told her, I don't believe anybody loves the Jews. And I never told her about that experience I'm just telling you about now. And Boaz, he didn't attend some boarding school in Switzerland to learn about isolation and fear and um, aloneness. But he understood somehow what it meant to be terrified with the feelings of aloneness and isolation and fear. So as Boaz Boaz looked at Ruth, then Ruth found something. Because Ruth now had gone out from Naomi. You look carefully at verse 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said, undergo my daughter. There is a Hebrew word that's buried in verse two. It's translated sight. It's not the word sight. That Hebrew word is very clear. The Hebrew word is ayin, which is the word for eye. And so the word ayin or eye is the key to what Ruth was saying there, what she was saying to Naomi, what she was going to do that day. Because when we read in verse 2 the word ayin, the word I for ayin, it reads like this in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears after him in whose eyes I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. See, Ruth was on an eye search that day. Ruth was saying to Naomi, "What was that? What she was saying is that I'm going to go out today and look into the eyes of people." And Ruth was saying to Naomi that she was going to go search for those certain eyes, and she's going to search from this person's eyes to that person's eyes till she found the eyes that she was looking for. And what eyes was she looking for? She said, "Eyes of grace, eyes of pen, eyes of grace, or eyes of compassion." So Ruth set out that day looking for the eyes of compassion. And that day, Ruth looked from one set of eyes to the next set of eyes, and and she said, where are these eyes of compassion? And when she found this person, she looked at his eyes, and she said, no, no, these are not the eyes of compassion. I'll move on. And so she went on all that day looking for the eyes of compassion. And then Ruth said, I found them. I found them. I found the eyes that I've been looking for. When she looked into the eyes of Boaz, she said, Those are eyes of compassion. And because with the eyes of compassion, Boaz not only saw the fear that Ruth was feeling, he felt with her the fear that she was feeling in her aloneness, in her isolation, in her fear. He felt her fear because he was able to have compassion on her. He knew, he knew what it was like. He knew what it was like, somehow he knew what it was like to be alone, isolated, and afraid so he could have compassion on Ruth. And so as Ruth looks into the eyes of Boaz, she saw the eyes of compassion, and she knew Boaz understands. And she knew that she would find what she said she'd find in verse two, I'll find grace, and she found grace, or in other word, mercy. She found mercy, and she told, she told Naomi that. She said, I'm gonna go find those eyes, and those eyes are going to result in mercy. And so Boaz, he shows Ruth this mercy, all because Boaz had felt aloneness, isolation, and fear, and was willing to open his heart to feel what she was feeling. That's the picture. That's the picture of Boaz looking at Ruth with those eyes of compassion. And when we look at that, we can see in Boaz the Lord Jesus Christ. because. Same eyes of compassion as it says about him in Hebrews 5:2, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. Who can have compassion? Hebrews 5:2. We're told the point of this verse is the who can have compassion. Or or we could say, who can have the eyes of compassion? Who could have those Boaz eyes of compassion? See, this verse tells us that, that what's going on here is the Lord Jesus looks with the eyes of compassion. It tells us how the Lord Jesus is able to look with the eyes of compassion. See, for the word in compassion here, it means to reasonably bear with or to sympathize with. And so we're told that the Lord Jesus has compassion on two descriptions, two types of people. He says, two, two descriptions of persons. He says, first they are described in Hebrews 5.2 who can have compassion on the ignorant. See, the word ignorant is the word that we get agnostic from, agneo, which means not knowing. So it's those people who just don't know. It's those people who don't understand what's happening to me. They are confused about what's happened to them. They don't have it all together. They may know all the scripture verses to get them through, but it's not enough. It's not enough because they don't have it all together. They really don't understand what all these hardships in life are all about. But what they do understand is the second description of them, which is the description where they know they are out of the way out of the way. He Hebrews 5:2, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? See, hardships have for some come with such a force that they don't know why all this has happened, but they know that somehow they're out of the way. See, on them that are out of the way, they feel that they're out of the way because they feel like they're sheep described in Isaiah 53:6. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone out of the way. We've turned everyone to his own way, which is out of the way. And they feel out of the way because they feel like a sheep that's gone astray. Instead of turning to God's way, they've turned to their own way, and they're out of the way. They they know that they're out of the way, and they're broken because some are broken with a broken heart because they've invested their heart into a relationship, and that relationship broke And when it did, all they knew is that they were out of the way broken because of a broken heart. They invested in a relationship based on trust, and the trust had been betrayed. And they don't know what's going on, and they feel ignorant about about why or how their relationship got broken and their their friendship got broken, but they know that because of their weakness, they don't have a friendship anymore. And, And they look at others who have close friends, and they just feel all the more broken, and out of the way, because their friendship is broken. And some are broken, some are broken with a broken marriage. They had all their hopes centered on the love of their life, who became the spouse of their life. And they felt so secure as they had emerged from a life of being alone to a life of being together. But somehow They couldn't fix those marital problems, and finally it all spun out of control, and the hopeful decree that they heard, I now pronounce you man and wife, turned into a despairing decree of, I now pronounce you divorced. And they don't know what's going on, and they feel ignorant as to why and how their marriage broke up, but they know it's because of their weakness, and they don't have a marriage anymore. And they look at others who are happily married, and they're not broken, and they just feel all the more broken with a broken future because they feel out of the way because their marriage is broken. And some are broken with a broken body. They invested in the health of their body. Oh, they watched their diet. And every day they watched their weight. They got on the scales. And they adjusted what they ate that day to keep their weight stable. And they planned their diet by reading food labels. (laughs) And they kept their cholesterol and uh, and their LDL down. And they watched as they, the HDL goes up, and they worked out at the gym, and they read books, and they subscribed to magazines like Life Extension, and they were looking at what they eat, what they should not eat, and how to stay healthy. And, and after all that, and they've gone to the gym and everything, they've gone to the doctor, and they've heard the most terrifying words, you have cancer, or you have coronary artery disease. And they don't understand how this could be happening to them. And at first they just thought it was a bad dream but that they're going to wake up from, but it's not a bad dream. And they're all lost to understand. And How could this be happening? They don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant why their health is broken because they don't know. They look at others who are healthy and they're not broken and they feel all the more broken. With a broken future, they feel out of the way because their body is broken. And some are broken with a broken mind. They've always had an active mind. They read a lot, they listened, they analyzed, they took pleasure in just thinking, and they could remember what others forgot. Their mind was sharp, their mind was clear, but now they're frustrated at not being able to remember the simplest things, and they, they no longer can think like they used to, and they don't know what's going on, and they feel ignorant as to why and how their mind got broken. They know they're getting older, they're with age, that's what happens, minds deteriorate with the bodies, but they can't accept it's happening to them, and they don't know how they lost that healthy mind, they don't know, but, but they look at others with a sharp, with a, with a strong mind, and they're not broken, and they feel all the more broken because their mind is broken, and, and some are broken because broken finances. They worked hard. They carefully saved for the future. They watched what they spent money on. They paid all their, the insurances that they had to pay for, and they thought they would be protected. They invested their money in stocks that were supposed to stay safe, but somehow something happened to their portfolio, or there was an unexpected disaster, some illness they had to pay for, some out-of-pocket expense, water in the house that shouldn't have been in the house, a broken pipe, Water not in the house that should have been in the house, a broken well. And for any number of reasons, they find themselves with no money. Their savings have dried up. They have a mountain of bills. They don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant as to why and how they lost all their money. They think back in the past, and if I only would have, and if I would have not. And this, And they look at others who are financially strong and makes them feel all the more that they're broken with broken finances. They feel out of the way and some are some are broken be, with a broken conscience because they've tried to live by the golden rule they tried to live good they tried to be kind and good to others but temptation it was just a little too strong and they knew it was wrong to, to steal and and they knew it was wrong to steal that watch from that shop or steal that time from that boss or push that girl push that girl that night to impurity or, or to look at that pornography or, or to vent their anger with sharp words and, or, or, or just try some of those drugs. But the thought was too enticing. The thought was too entertaining. Somehow they thought, just an act. But somehow the enticing act has become now an addiction. And now they don't know what's going on. They feel ignorant as to why this could happen. How am I trapped? They say, well, I'm trapped. I'm, try, I'm trapped trying to hide what I've done and who I am and what I'm doing. But I know I'm broken with a conscience that's weighed down with guilt and shame. And they look at others who got their, seem to have their lives together. They're not weighed down with guilt and shame. They're not broken. And it just makes them feel all the more broken and feel out of the way because they're trapped in a routine of sin. And so when Boaz looks at Ruth and her situation, Boaz sees a person that's broken in her aloneness and her isolation and her fear. And as Boaz looks at Ruth, he sees a Moabite in a strange country among a strange people. And Boaz sees in Ruth a person who was out of the way compared to the rest of the Jewish people. And he was able to have compassion on her. And when the Lord Jesus Christ looked at us, when he saw us like Ruth, He saw us in our weakness. He saw us in our brokenness. He saw us in our aloneness, in our isolation, our fear. He's able to have compassion. Why was the Lord Jesus Christ able to have compassion on us?
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.